I do, uh, I do want to make a quick mention before I get going here. Uh, a, a very dear and old friend of mine, Rick DeVincent, reached out to me just today, just an hour or so ago. And Rick was the guitar player in my very first band, Undone. We grew up together in Melrose, Massachusetts. He, knew, he lives now out in Dallas, Texas with his wife and his family, or his kids live, I think, in California, his grown daughters. But um, Rick is one of my oldest and dearest friends, a great guitar player, singer, songwriter, and an even better friend. And he sent me today the link to his latest song, um, The Time Is Now, available on Spotify. And I'm just I'm just throwing it out there just ahead of uh, Denny coming on because this song was so great. I loved it so much. And I just want to turn you guys on to it as well. So again, the song is called The Time Is Now. Um, the artist is my friend Ricky DeVincent. You can find it on Spotify. Check it out. It's really, really great. Rick is a super talented guy and a super great guy. And I'm proud to say that we played in our first band together and both of us set foot on stage on our very first gigs together. So all the way back to 1974 is I was 13 and he was 11, you know, um, what a history. So really, really proud of that. So check it out. Ricky DeVincent, the time is now and uh, check out all his music. I think he has a lot of stuff up on Spotify. So with that, again, I want to um, welcome everybody to episode 65 of Live from My Drum Room. And uh, without any further delay or ado, please welcome my very good friend <laughs> with his... <laughs> Is it work? With, his, with his wool hat, Denny Tedesco. Oh, that looks great. Hey, yeah. <laughs> Does it, can you read it? I can't see. It's, uh, it's backwards it says, for me. No, I can read it. It says, let's... Something, let's get right? lit. Let's get lit. Okay, I get it. There you go. I love it. I'm hide the hair there. So just go this. <laughs> That's way cooler. I like that better. Okay. You know, Denny, I could have oh, sworn. So I, I know. I'm sorry about how cold you are. I could have sworn I had oh. a Wrecking Crew t-shirt. Um, and I looked for it this morning. And I, I, I think I, I, will, I definitely have a hat. But Yeah. You know what? I'm going to send it to you. I, I felt like a chump by wearing a Wrecking Crew shirt to this. <laughs> I felt like, you know, I did it so long. <laughs> it was like... <laughs> This guy's a chump. He keeps wearing the same damn shirt. No, man. I I would wear that all the time. I'd be so proud of that, have wearing that shirt. You kidding me? Uh, wow. You know what's what so a, funny? I feel I feel like this is like you've made the wrong call, Johnny. Because I looked at all the police people you've interviewed and went, why am I here? <laughs> Are you kidding? No way, man. No way. Uh it's it's such an honor to have you here. I I I I'm going to tell you, and I've told you this before, and I'm going to tell everybody who's watching. I just love you so much. I just adore and likewise. you, man. Yeah, I just, um, I, I, I remember the day Hal Blaine called and said, you know, that voice, hey, John, it's Hal. <laughs> you know, he, he said, you know, uh, Tommy's son Denny's putting together this this documentary on the Wrecking Crew, and and I'm trying to remember. It must have been not long after you started. Sometime in the late nineties, I think. Yeah, I'm, I'm, was my dad still? I don't think my dad would have been around. Maybe. I mean, I, we started in '96, but he died in '97. So I don't know. It's funny because it's it's the relationships I built over those twenty-something years were ridiculous. Because 
I became closer to people like Don Randy than my father probably was, you know, because yeah, I was, yeah. you know what I mean? Because I stayed with Don, I'm still with Don, but that was like 20 years where yeah. my father maybe had a good 15 years of work with him, you know, for, you know, it's wild. It's, it's crazy when you look at it like that. I, I never even thought of that. You're right. I mean, and the amount of work that your dad did in that time is like probably, I mean, it's almost immeasurable, but I know what you mean. In actual years, though, you've you've had a longer relationship with Don than than your dad. Yeah. 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 I never thought so, of that. Yeah. Crazy. So. Well, congratulations. I'm good, man. I'm good. I, I, I um, you know, I'm we're, my wife and I are just trying to navigate our way through the holidays with the, all the latest yeah. and greatest yeah. shit going on out there. But uh, yeah. Yeah. How about you guys? It's good. It's good. We're just, finally, this is it. End of the year. Uh, we're going to pretend not to work and, and uh, <laughs> just try to, try to calm down. Yeah. So. yeah. Well, I, I definitely want to talk about I, what I think you're working on right now, the immediate family documentary. I want to, right. I, I'd love to get to that, but I, but I just want to like, there's so much to talk about with the wrecking crew and just with you and, and your dad. Um, and, and, you know, we've never really got into like the, the nuts and bolts of like what it must've been like for you as a kid growing up with Tommy Tedesco as your dad, you know, I mean, I, I know you've talked about this with a lot of people. Yeah. I feel like our relationship had a lot to do with Hal cause Hal was our mutual kind of friend, yeah, you know, and, father, and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but I, I was thinking like what it must've been like to see your dad go off to work in the morning and knowing that he was going to, you know, play on a hit song or maybe five hit songs that day, you know, I had no, idea. no, but the difference is the truth is I had no idea. None of us. I mean, it's dad went to work like any other dad. And so we, if you don't know that it's kind of like different, I, you know, my friend's father across the street, you know, his father was a, uh, an accountant and my father was a musician. I didn't know there was a difference, you know, in terms of work and occupation, but no dad just, and it, he went to work and that was it. And I always tell people instead of a saw and a drill in the trunk, he had a banjo, a, a telecaster, a, an acoustic and an amp. And that was his tools. Yeah. Um, but never, it wasn't until the seventies because I'm born in 61 um, that I started realizing things were different when, you know, I think when one of the kids said, your dad's on the Partridge family album, his, you know, his name's on it. And I, oh, that's cool. You know, I didn't realize. And then, um, then he would, if he was doing TV shows or something, you know, like not Bonanza, but more like um, I would do chips and things like that or, yeah you know, Barnaby Jones or one of those shows, I would basically on like, uh, you know, off school days, you know, I go with them, but it was boring, you know, watching music being done for a film and not knowing how cool it was now. But no, we had no idea. I mean, maybe other kids did, you know, maybe Michelle and, you know, Hal's, you know, I think certain parents included their kids more involved them more maybe sometimes brought him in the studios more but not my dad he kept it separate yeah well that's maybe he just he he 
respect that, right? He he wanted to do that. He wanted to sort of separate church and state, so to speak. You know? it, it totally is funny because I asked that about my mom because, you know, there's legendary stories out. My mom and my aunt and uh, uncle went to uh, see Strangers um, in the Night, be, you know, being recorded because Frank wanted a uh, audience. You know, I said, did he ever take you to those other dates, you know, like Peggy Lee or anything? She goes, he goes, no, mom always said, a plumber doesn't take his wife to work, you know, and he was joking, but it's true. I mean, when you guys go to work, you guys are musicians, you're going to work. Right. You're not there. To, it's not a social event. It becomes a social event, obviously, with musicians, but it's not a, uh, you know, that's a job. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sometimes exactly. the job is the hang. You know, and that's what I learned also is is the hang is sometimes can be more important than the music you just created because you know what you just met you just met someone that's going to take you you know you guys are going to work together for the next 20 years now so yeah yeah wow and and so when when he'd come home from work did he ever say i did this i you know i did a tv show today or something or no 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 it's funny i again it was weird because the only times, again, in the 70s, probably because I was a little more inquisitive. You know, dad started, I didn't see my father play guitar at home, don't forget, until 1976. And because he was, you know, starting to do his jazz thing, his own jazz albums. Yeah. And he hadn't done that since the early 60s. So I was too young then. So I never really saw, he never practiced at home, you know. He was practicing 12, 14 hours a day. So that's the last thing he ever did is pull out a guitar and start playing. And so it wasn't until later I started becoming interested, you know, seeing him do his albums and going, you know, and getting radio player, you know, and then certain movies would come up and we would talk about it because I was now I'm an adult, you know, late teens, early, you know, and that that started getting exciting because he was excited. You know, that's the other thing. I think he started getting excited with certain projects, let's say with John Williams or James Horner or something like that. And then, you know what got him excited? I think what brought it was when you remember he was doing those articles for Guitar Player magazine. Yeah. And that was the late 70s. Um, he started doing this article called um, for Guitar Player um, uh, Studio, Studio Log, I think it was called. And it was really popular. And what he did is he would take a you know, a date that he was just on. And it was, if there was something to write about, he'd take the music and he'd basically talk about it, but he talked about it with such, um, such, uh, I mean, I can't even, it was, it was hilarious. Some of the things he wrote about were very funny, uh, but he never took himself too seriously. Yeah. You know, with a lot of that stuff, but that's when he, and also the seminars he was doing with, uh, around the country and with that MI musicians Institute, which was GIT, I think the kids got him more excited about music and that, you know, that's what really got him back. Yeah. You know, in terms of caring, not caring, you know what I mean? It was just something that they pushed him into where they asked him, why don't you play, you know, live? And he had no answer for it. You know, in the early days, yeah, it's hard to book a gig. You know, you're gonna make $50, if you're lucky at a jazz gig, you know, you know, you know, for $2,000, you know, so he's not going to take a chance. Well, you know, um, I was just going to say a couple of quick things. My, 
one of my biggest regrets. I was working at a music store in Boston called EU Wurlitzer from the late 70s to the mid 80s. Right. And I want to say the year was 1980 that your dad came in and did a guitar, right. did a clinic. And, and clinics were pretty new at the time. And yeah. all the guys, all the guitar players that worked in the shop, and this was a, a real pro store. It was, a, you know, the equivalent of like yeah. Annie's music. Yeah. And all the guitar players that worked there were so excited because Tommy Tedesco was coming in and they all knew who he right. was. And I don't know that they, at that time, I don't think they'd, they'd coined the phrase wrecking crew, but they, you know, they were like, this is the guy that plays on all the records, all the TV shows. And I stupidly being a drummer, 19 or 20 years old, went home after work, didn't stick yeah. around for the clinic. And people talked about that. I swear as God is my yeah. witness, Denny, for years after that, how great it was. And, 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 most of what the guys talked about besides the information was how funny your dad was. They just said yeah. he had people in stitches. So I'll fast forward the other day, literally yesterday or the day before I'm talking to Rick Murata. And yeah. I mentioned that you were going to be here today. And the first thing Rick said was, Oh man, his dad was amazing. He said, his dad, he said, one of the funniest guys that he said, one of the funniest guys I've ever known besides being like an amazing musician. He said, he was just, you know, just hilarious. Just a great guy to be around. Just his his vibe was so positive. That's very cool. Yeah. So that's really cool. I mean, and it's funny because I get that all the time from um, from people like yourself and any other people. The same thing. And it, you know, well, if you've seen the film, which you have, you know, that's that footage is from um, Musicians Institute nineteen eighty one seminar. Yeah. And that was kind of like we was, I knew I always had that in the pocket making the film, but I knew that was not just funny and lighthearted, but it his stories meant something. I mean, there was a point to a story, even if there was a joke on the end of it. There were, and and that's what he loved sharing. It wasn't a don't ask him to teach you guitar because he, you know, he would always say the kid that's trying I'm trying to teach is better than I am. You know, he was very humble that way, he, you know, but um, he studio musician, you know, he could talk forever about it. Yeah. There's so many funny things and talking about, you know, for everybody watching at home, if you haven't seen the film that Danny directed, The Wrecking Crew, then it's available. You can watch it on Netflix still. Is I know. Still no, it's not on Netflix, it's but I'm excited. But wait, someone called, sent me the, a note the other day. It's on HBO now, HBO Max. Oh, fantastic. Even better. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, yeah, I hope so. Yeah. And we'll find out in March if I get a check. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I well, hope so. I can oh, watch all right. It. So here's the thing. All your audience go to HBO Max. I don't care if you've seen it before or whatever. Just give it a thumbs up. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's all you need I'll, for Christmas. Yeah, please. I'll please do that. And I'll do the same thing. Yeah. Um, I I've watched it so many times. You were so nice to, to send me, um, you know, I, I think even before the DVD was finally. Oh yeah. You saw years before we finished it. Yeah. And, um, but I I can watch it over and over and I can, I can hear the stories over and over because they're so great. And I I know I'll I'll mess these up, but there are a couple that your dad tells. Um, There's one in particular and I, and please cut me off and and correct it if I don't, but it has to do with, with the wrecking crew going in to do this really legit, um, into a soundstage, maybe at universal and doing a, like a, they were, they were doing a, a movie 
and they were doing the, the score for a movie and there was a composer who was who put music in front of them and said all right now this is oh okay all right, yeah that was yeah. that was that that's the disney story disney okay disney okay I was, right, so that was right because hal tells that story hal said it was right you know because at the time in the late 60s um there was still about it was there was you know still that oh you guys do records yeah you know there was that well the guy at disney needed some rock and roll for this movie it was uh i can't remember it was uh, whatever the movie was so what they did is they got rid of all the rest of the the legit players the strings and all that and they brought in hal and dad and and uh whoever it was the combo and he, he goes all right, guys, I'm going to lay down the music. We're going to take, you know, the click track and we're going to slow it down so you guys can learn it. And he goes, and then they counted it out and they just went boom, 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 and finished it. And that was it. And then the guy was like blown away by, how'd you guys do that? And my father says, oh, we practice a lot during the day. You know, <laughs> so my father had no shame. I mean, he, you know, the greatest thing about, I wish my father had given me, he didn't give me the uh, music gene. I could tell you that, but I wish he had given me um, the sarcasm, the, how to put, bury someone, bury someone without them knowing they've been buried. And that's the thing I wish he was so good at it. He was so good at it. You know, he could insult the shit out of you, it, you know, with tongue in cheek. I mean, if he didn't like you, you were really in trouble. But yeah. he knew how to do it without, you know. Oh. He was, I mean, uh, Don Randy was telling me a story recently. Um, you know, these guys go to work. And, and it's like anybody else. There's a, you know, three o'clock. God, we're going to get off the work 10 minutes early. That's great because I got to get to the next gig. And mentally, you guys as musicians, you know, it's not. And that's the difference. I'm going to tell you this because we'll talk about how it's different from the next group of musicians you know, the Danny Kochmars, the Leland's and the Russell and Kunkels and all that. You know, I mean, those guys yeah. come in later. My dad was boom, 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 boom. There was music and there was music business, he would say. So you had to combine the two. You know, you have to know when and what. So this day, it's music business. He's got to get in. He's got to get out. And it's like quarter to th three before. And they run this whole thing. And it's perfect. The leader says, great, gosh, go home. We're done. And Jimmy Haskell, the, you know, the great arranger, starts basically kissing ass. And he says, you know what? I think, guys, I think we could do another one. I think I, we could do another one. I feel it could be. And he's basically sucking up to the leader. And the leader's going, no, Jimmy, we got it. We got it. It's all good. It's all good. And he goes, uh, and they're doing, and at this point, Hal's got his shit away. Dad's got his guitars in the case. They're walking out. And no, no, I, all right, Jimmy, we'll do one more. So they sit down, and Don says, Your dad sits down, opens the chart up again, and he goes, And just about to go, and Jimmy's doing the countdown. He goes, Jimmy, um, I'm bar 14. Did you want it like this, or do you want it like this? You know, don't do it like that. The way you, and they go, Oh my God, he's doing this. He's going to take him down this road. And just every time he's about, he goes, But, how about bar 35? And he just takes them to this, you know, to where there's no time left to do a take. And they're just dying, he says, in the back. They're just, because they know. And Jimmy has no idea my father took him for a ride. 
Oh, and that's the kind of shit I love the most. Yeah, me too. Me too. When I hear those stories, yeah, and Hal was the master at telling those stories. You know, he he oh, became so good. Yeah, he was. He was. You know, he had a million. Hal was the the greatest storyteller. <laughs> you know, do you remember how many there was? If, if how many times you'd be hanging out with Hal and it'd be in a restaurant? This is this is for the folks that didn't get to hear Hal or hang with him long enough. He'd be telling a story or a joke and his jokes could go for five minutes. And just as he's get to the punchline, a waitress will walk up to him and say, so can I get you anything? And he'd go, damn it. Because the waitress stepped on his line. Yeah. Yeah. He's he timing gets thrown off. Yeah. Oh my oh, God. Could, I know. Yeah. And you're right too. I mean, he would, he would, he could, he could, he could tell a joke for five minutes and if he didn't get interrupted by the waitress, he could, he could hold it all that time. You know what I mean? He could could hold your attention and, and, you know, he'd do a a voice or he'd do something to embellish it. Yeah. Oh my God. I know. Well, you know, speaking of how I was going to just say the last time I saw you was at his 90th birthday party. And yeah. Crazy. Yeah. I know. I know. I, I tell people this story. It's, it's kind of like a sort of a bittersweet, yeah, Charlie it was a story. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, Charlie I, was there. Jim Keltner came. Chad came. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's so many people there. And, you know, I, I don't know if he, we talked about this because um, Don Randy and I, you know, the planning of it with his, uh, uh, with Michael, his nephew, uh, we were all planning this birthday party. And it was like, you know, I was sick, but not letting everybody know. I mean, we didn't know how bad it was or whatever. But also, we didn't know. Hal didn't really like He would. Uh, we just didn't think he was going to stay there. We thought, all right, we've got to get him to stay at least the one set because everybody's coming to celebrate. Please, you know, so we're worried about him staying the whole set and going home, you know, and because, you know, it didn't feel well, whatever. It, he He closed the place. Don was gone. I was gone. He was still signing autographs. I mean, it wow. was like everybody was gone. He was the last one to walk out. Oh. You know, and you always think, you know, I was thinking about this last night, and I'm sure you got this too. Um, and I got this is weird. I'm just thinking about this because this has hit me last night. I was thinking about my parents and go, what if God or whoever gave you that chance? to have five more minutes with someone, what would you ask them? And, and I could not come up, I'd be tongue-tied. Because you always think about your, your family, your friends you've lost, you go, oh, I wish I would have asked them that. Yeah. But yeah. truthfully put it there, it's wild. Right, it, it is, I, I know. I, I don't know what, if I could see my parents again i don't i don't know it's like one of those things that maybe maybe spontaneously i'd know what to say but right now it's kind of like where would i even like how would i even start yeah. you know where would i even start yeah. With it? it's yeah it's you know and, and how was that guy i mean how was you know he was you know after my father passed in 97 and i befriended you know really became friends with alan don those two really kept me going on the dock you know, for those who don't know, the doc I started in 96 when my father was passing away and I quickly put them 
uh, I put Don and um, Carol and Plas Johnson at a round table in the studio. And that was our first day shooting. And then he died right after that. And I couldn't get the film made. And I kept shooting and shooting. And it wasn't until 10, 12 years later that we actually got it into festivals. We, I think my wife was thinking I was nuts. And we just finally cut a film. And then it was 2008, and, but we didn't get, you know, we still had over half a million dollars to pay off for the licensing. So that's, but all those years, Don and Hal just kept me going. Yeah. You know, when there was, when shit went down, you know, they could pick me up. It's like a great relationship in a wife and a husband, you know what I mean? Or, yeah. Yep. You know, each other up and down, up and down. You Hopefully you're both not down at the same time. That's a good way of putting it. I, I, yeah. I mean, he, he, Hal absolutely adored you and, and loved you. And, and I know Don does and, and, uh, and it's, but you know, at the same time, God bless you for, for like getting it over the finish line and, and the monumental task that that was financially, mentally, everything, you know, to, to, to give all of us, this amazing documentary because it's just so great and so timeless. You know, I was very lucky and, you know, we, and you and I, we talked about this in the past and we've seen it in the past where I was lucky when I started interviewing these guys, uh, dad was 67 when he passed, which is bizarre. Yeah. I mean, I'm 60 now. It's like, oh my God, you know, um, half 68, you know, so they were all in their sixties yeah. and, so their minds were still there, you know, I mean, and I don't mean that in a bad sense, you know, they were sharper. Yeah. We absolutely. all lose that. And so they, and they were also, you know what the great thing is they were sharper, but they weren't in the game anymore. And I say that meaning like the guys didn't have to play the game of business, bullshit business. So they didn't care what they said. And my father never cared what he said anyway, so it didn't matter there. But no, everybody was, you know, they didn't hold back in being truthful about their business, the relationships and stuff. And that made it why it worked. If I, if I interviewed them in their 30s, you don't get that because you're still playing that, Yeah. you know, what should I say? Right. And if you yeah. get them in their 80s, you're going to get a lot of stuff in it. <laughs> You know, it's, it's going a different way. Um, I mean, that was the thing. Is like we hear stories like, wait a minute, Hal, you said that was a bullshit story before when someone else told it. <laughs> it's like, oh my god. Um, but I was so lucky, and you know, and the thing is, people say, oh, you had such what was it, uh, Herb Alpert on an interview. My name came up on Mark Maron's interview with him. He goes, oh my god, he's a pit bull. But he won't let go. And it was a great compliment. I took it as a compliment. And the reason yeah. I didn't let go, I have something missing that all of you have. And meaning every musician out there, you've practiced an instrument, you've gotten to a point where you're at, and you just never gave up. And I saw that in my father. I saw that in all my friends who are great musicians. I saw that in writers. You know, when I was a kid, I wanted to write scripts. You know, I did a few and that was it. I wasn't a writer. A writer writes every day. A musician plays every day. 
And when I got to the wrecking crew, I had all this footage and I was like, I, what if I, I don't want this on my tombstone as an, oh, there's another notch. You know what I mean? Uh, another project I never finished. And we all have a lot, but this one was like intense. So when I got to that point of getting it out into the festivals and it did extremely well in 08 and 09, a lot of awards and people would say, you did it, you did it. I said, yeah, but. And now I knew I had a film that was really well, well accepted, but I just put my family in danger in a weird way because now I've spent all this money and there was like, okay, the, I, there was a line drawn and I've passed that line. Now I got to keep going. And that's when we kept going. And for the next five years, we kept trying to raise, figure out raising money because no one would help us. If you remember, you know, and it's hard. But that's what it is. The musicians got me there by the drive. That's yeah. the only thing that, you know. But that's that's such a key point, Denny, what you just said, because, you know, you had this amazing film more or less in the can, but you were still a half a million dollars. What people didn't understand. And, I, I, I knew that you told me that and was, you know, it really it truly wasn't going to see the light of day until you were able to overcome that major. Hurdle. No, and, you know, exactly. And, you know, People didn't understand. There was so much, you know, to be, you know, people, this is the biggest problem that all of you have now as musicians and writers. People don't accept music as to be paid for. It's something, oh, yeah, it's free. You know, and it's like, guys, people made a living making music, and this is what we, you know, we bought it. And um, so when there was, I had no problem paying off licenses, you know, and then the musicians' union. I, you know, there, there were contracts, they were on contracts and technically maybe I didn't have to pay for it because it was a documentary, but I wanted to pay for it. And so that was the biggest thing is raise money for the musicians contracts and the labels and the publishers. And, you know, people would say, Oh, they're holding you up for ransom. No, they're not. The labels and the publishers, I got to say, they came through, they gave me a great pricing and everything. It was about economics investors thought there's no way this is going to make this much when it's going to cost this much. And that's what got me, you know, we had to get to the point where it doesn't cost anybody anything, you know, and that's it. Cost me. (laughs) But But, uh, thank uh, you for clarifying that. That's, that's great information, you know, for me, for everybody to know that that's. It wasn't, wasn't, there were no bad guys in this story. I mean, there yeah. really weren't. I mean, there were a few, I'll, let's say off the air, but <laughs> there really weren't. Um, there wasn't like um, Wall Street Journal did an article on us, on the film, and they were trying to really push it that way. You know, about me against the music, you know, the mm-hmm. like David and Goliath. But I said, first of all, I said, please don't do that because I'm not done with my licensing. I don't want, you know, that to be, and it's not. It really wasn't. And if it wasn't for a, a publisher, a bug, um, you know, she was the one that said to me, you have to come back and renegotiate with us because the original negotiation I did in way, she goes, it's too high. Meaning you'll never get the money to raise, you'll never raise enough money because I really thought if I give you this much money, you know, yeah. she goes, 
And she's the one who said, send me that contract. And she rewrote it, made it a little harder for her, meaning publishers. And she was just being legit. And she, and she goes, okay, now go get everybody else signed off. And for the next two years from uh, 11 to 13, I kept getting publishers sign off. I pay them labels. I pay off. And that's when, remember we would go around the country showing this film where we could. And, um, and every time money would come in, pay off a label, pay off a publisher. Um, and that's how we did it. It was really the people that did it. That's great. A musician. You remember, there, that's the other thing about musicians. They're, I call them ants. They're like ants. They all come together, but then they break off and they go their different ways. And the, they were the best in terms of telling others about the, the project. And I would get people come up to me, oh man, I was on a Elton's flight and I saw the film, or I was on the Eagles tour bus and I saw the film. I was on Paul Anka's bus and I saw the film. And I'm thinking, first of all, how's everybody seeing the film? You know, I've got bootlegs everywhere. You know, it's like, oh my God. You know, it, it used to irritate me at first because like, because I figured everybody's going to see this film. No one's going to want to see it again. All the musicians. And I remember the worst was a teacher in the NAMM show. And I'm with Don Randy and I'm walking around with my shirt. And this guy goes, oh, my God, I love that film. I teach at, at you know, GIT, da, 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 da. And he goes, I, I downloaded it and showed it to all my kids at school. And I'm thinking... I'm still in the trying to raise money to get this thing out. And I'm thinking, you're an idiot. You're an idiot. Not, not because you did it. You're an idiot for telling me you did it. Yeah. <laughs> so did he like, not know who you were? He, did he not realize you were, you were a yes. Tedesco? He did. Okay. Yeah. And the worst thing, the worst thing. Yeah. He's totally an idiot. But the worst <laughs> thing was my father, he wouldn't have had a job there because my father, if you remember, you know, in the mid eighties, MI was going down. Yeah. And oh, yeah. Yep. Matt Hicks went to everybody, the owner of the school, and said, trying to get money to keep going with payroll for two months. And everybody said, nope, 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 all of them. And he went to my father on a Sunday. And my father, who gambles, he's trying not to pay attention to Pat because he's watching the game. This is all in Pat's words. He says, your dad's sitting there in his underwear, which he always did. That's another story. <laughs> <laughs> but he's sitting there he's on, the on the couch. He's watching the game and he goes, what do you need, Pat? He goes, well, and he tells him a story. We're, we're short on payroll. Da, da, da. He goes, let me think about it. It was like $50,000. And he goes, let me think about it. So the next day he calls Pat and says, everybody's told me not to do it. Carmi, my, his wife, my mother, don't do it. The accountant, everybody says, don't do it. Don't do it. He says, but you know what? When they tell me not to do it, I'm going to do it. And he goes, so he knew, my father was smart. He knew if he's going to give up that 50 grand, it's going to keep the school going. He's going to make his money back. Mm-hmm. You know, he was smart. He was a smart business guy. But yeah. so yeah. that that paid thing always cracked me up because the guy that's got the job 20 years later is because of the guy <laughs> that gave that check yeah. up. So. Yeah. No, I know. I know. It's, it's. Um, I was just going to say, talking about those screenings, I, I was fortunate to, to go to several. And I remember the one you did at the NAMM show, maybe 10 or so years ago, um, you had it at a- No, 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 no. You're way off. Think about it. 10? 
years ago. More, yeah, it must have been more than 10 years ago. 20 years ago. Oh, God. Really? Oh, well, man. 08 10, to 10, I'm showing 11. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I just remember we. I, <laughs> no, no, you're right. I can't add. I can't add. Sorry. You're an idiot. I'm an idiot. We all have. Feels long. We all have. We all have a little COVID. Um, yeah, may I put hard, this hat back. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I remember um, you gave us. You gave me a bunch of passes that I was able to give out to artists and friends and, and, and people that, you know, a bunch of us came to the screening, how was there. And, and, uh, and you, you of course emceed and I, so many people at, that my coworkers at Zildjian hadn't seen it yet. So it was their first time. And it was just so cool to see the reactions on people's faces because, you know, I mean, right from the opening, you know, first downbeat, it's, it's like the uh, be my baby. Yeah intro you know yeah. and and then i think it kicks over to dick clark or to brian wilson or somebody it's just like or glenn campbell and it's like oh my god this is unbelievable it's in you it's funny it's in your face all the way through yeah and it's funny but you remember how many times people would say i just saw this two weeks ago and you cut it differently and I said, no. And it, what would happen is people be hearing this music or hearing a story and they're thinking about that song, maybe because it affected them. That was their high school song. And all of a sudden they forgot the next five minutes. You know, they're still thinking. And that happened a lot. I did not, be, you know, it was an accident, obviously, but I watched it all the time happen. And that was the power of music. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, yeah. That was really powerful watching and the audiences move. I, exactly. And I was going to say, I, I totally know what you're talking about too. And I think that's, I think that happens when, when, like you say, when parts of, of a movie or a film resonate with you and you, your mind goes off there so that, like you say, you watch it again, two weeks later and you don't, you don't have a recollection of what came where. So when you see yeah. this next bit, you think either that wasn't there before. Or I thought that was toward the end. You move that part. You yeah, know? yeah. 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 It's, it was, it was so interesting watching that film with audiences and, you know, I had no fun. It's funny. Once I started watching it with real audiences and I say real audiences, meaning like not here or New York, you know what I mean? Insiders. It was so cool to watch because people really responded. Um, and I said this, and if this again was part of it was by accident, you know, you don't know what you're going to do, but music, you had them by 50%. 50% that if you hit with the music, yeah. unless you really hate all that music, you're not going to have a fun time either way. But <laughs> it was, you know, we, at least you sucked them in that way. But the other things about the film that I didn't realize meant so much to people, um, the storylines um, of these guys, because for those who don't, again, if you haven't seen it, Spoiler alert, my dad dies. <laughs> but he dies at the beginning and he dies at the end. So, um, and I say that because um, when I started the film, that was the, the, you know, that's why I was making it. When I found out he was diagnosed with cancer, I jumped into that thing really quickly. I always wanted to tell that story. But I thought, if I don't do it, it's going to be that thing what, oh, I should have. I, you know, I should have asked. I should have done it. And I didn't want that. So I did it. And once I got going um, in the edit, I never wanted to be um, part of the film. I just wanted to direct it and produce it. 
and an editor, um, director, um, he said to me, why are you doing it like this? What do you mean? I said, we had 20 minutes cut. He says, why are you not telling, you're not including yourself? I said, I don't want to be in it. He said, no, no, you've got to, you're coming from a different perspective that none of us can come from. You're, you're involved and you're not sharing that. And part of it, the truth was, it was my ego not wanting to do it because it is exactly what happened not exactly, but I knew that was going to be the case is people would say, oh, it's the son of Tommy. He did it. Oh, how sweet. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was in the film business. I might not have been a director, but, you know, I was production. I was gripping. I did, I, you know, IMAX and all that. So it wasn't yeah. like I didn't know. It was. I had my friends help me. Um, so when we started making that change of adding my voice in the beginning and just a few things here and there, and it was, I was able to come up, it was easier for me to tell the story. So what happened is when you were screening that film, I saw people relating it to a few reasons. They've lost their parents or they're losing their parents or they are parents and they're thinking about where their careers are. Um, the, the two best lines in the film come from um, Bones Howe, the you know, great engineer producer, and drummer. And he said, I asked, what was it like when you guys were at the, you were the A team, you know, late, you know, mid sixties, they're doing everything. Yeah. Um, I said, you're at the top. What happens when you're not at the top? And I know what answers are coming from my dad's perspective. So I could only go thinking what he would have done. And he, and Bone said, you know what? He goes, I had that ramp. We were all in the minors going up took the ramp up at the top. We had that longevity at the top and then we had the ramp down. He goes, it's not about staying at the top. It's about taking that ramp down as long as possible. And boy, that great, yeah. any of us, any of us. And you know, even my, you know, I thought about it and it's like, um, Mark Marin, who's in an interview with me, he said, when I told him that, he goes, yeah, because we all want to be relevant as long as possible. Right. And it's true. We all want to be relevant. My mom wanted to be relevant. Even if in her old age she was, she still had advice for you. Do you know what I mean? You want to be relevant. And, and the other line um, was from Plaz Johnson, the saxophone player. And I said, Plaz, what was it like for the family? You know, again, I know where I can come. I can answer that for us. But for Plaz, he says, well, he, and he paused. I said, how did it affect your family? He goes, well, let's just say I'm a better grandfather than I was a father. And he's because, you know, his kids are going to school at eight o'clock in the morning. He might be sleeping in because he worked on the Merv Griffin show and he doesn't go to work till three. He doesn't come home till 11 or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, so he misses the family. But now that doesn't have to be a musician. That's any you could be a postman. You could be a salesman. We all have to try to provide. And that's the the thing we do whatever we can yeah and uh in the next film that would you know i'm doing with the called the immediate family and i it was about the guy like russ conkle and leland and danny kochmar and wadi Wachtel. um i asked that question i said to asked russ conkle i said and he goes he goes you know there's a point where he, the biggest regret he is he didn't spend enough time at home meaning like 
it was part, he had to provide and that's how you do it. You know, he goes, but there's a point where you have to say no. And that's, it's, and I, you know, I've had to learn that as a father, you know, yeah, maybe this this trip isn't worth it. Or maybe, you know, there's a birthday. I'm going to stay. I can't do that. Yeah. You know, or whatever, but you know, you have to think about it, but you have to provide parents have to provide it's it's that it's that kind of yin and yang situation of of like you say the and and you know people talk a lot about that balance you know that balance of like you say providing yeah. for your family but but having that time with your family too and and uh, i i man i this is this is about you not about me but i i can totally relate to missing oh, you do. birthdays I mean, yeah yeah it's all those yeah. things well, since yeah. you brought it up, Danny, maybe talk. Can you talk for a minute about the um, about that project, the immediate family? That's yeah. that's in in process now. You're working on yeah. that. Yeah. So so after um, Wrecking Crew came out in 2015, you know, it did really really well. It went to Netflix, Hulu, and all over the world and stuff. So I was really happy. Um, but you know, then projects people would say, "What about this? What about this?" and there's always everybody just listen so many musicians and so many groups of musicians easily could have a documentary about them mm-hmm. and and well deserved i mean there's so many stories out there um but there was no way i was going to fund another documentary uh you would have there would have been a bullet behind my head right now with my <laughs> wife she, she's not a gun owner but she would have taken it up <laughs> or find another way but there was no way we would take this family down that road so and then um a couple of years ago these producers um greg richling who's a bass player was a bass player for wallflowers and jack pyatt and john sheldon they came to me and said um would you be interested in a documentary we're talking about maybe doing a documentary on the section and i kind of briefly knew what the section was but not Really, I knew the names of the guys, and Leland I knew, and Leland, the section was basically a group of musicians that were doing singer songwriters um, at the beginning, like with uh, Jackson and um, James and Carol, and it was Leland Scalar, um, Russ Conco, uh, Danny Kochmar, and uh, uh, Craig Durge, who was a piano player at the time. But right now, Leland, Russ. And Wadi and uh, Danny, they have a band with another guy named Steve Pistel, and it's called Immediate Family. And when they told me that, I thought, okay, I got that. I understand it now. Because when I say I understand it, now I got a, a hook on this. Because it's not just another group of musicians. And the hook is basically, these guys have been playing for 50 plus years with each other. And they are family. And as you know, a lot of musicians know and other occupations, you become closer to your work family because you spend more time, especially the road guys. You know, and they're in the studios, in the studios for this time, and then go on the road for months. It's a whole different relationship. So I thought, okay, this is cool. And then I started, and then we all of a sudden they raised money, and it was like, uh oh, in three weeks, you got Carol King. Oh shit. <laughs> okay. Now I really got to be serious because now there's money involved and now I got to go. 
if they don't pay you, they can't bitch. Right. <laughs> right? right. <laughs> but when they pay you, you pay yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so now they're going to pay me. All right. So I get, Carol King is in three weeks. We do Carol King. This is all pre-COVID. And then they said, Linda Ronstead and can be done in two weeks. And then James Taylor next week. And I'm like, what? So all of a sudden this is happening like boom, 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 boom. And I still don't have the real story down. Do you know what I mean? I'm still like, yeah. it's not like it's in your head. You're researching it. You're trying to learn it as you go along. And I guess in some ways that's kind of cool because you discover as you go along. And that was one of my discoveries um, when I interviewed Peter Asher, you know, the great producer. Oh, yeah. And I, and I said, there was something about, we were talking about legends, you know, and, he, and I realized, oh, my God, these guys weren't legends. When they're doing tapestry and, and you know, Sweet Baby James, they're nobodies. That's, right. you know, Leland's first gig on the reel on the road is Sweet Baby James. And Danny, you know, and Russ are doing, you know, Russ's first three albums is Blue, um, Tapestry, and Sweet Baby James within two years. It's crazy. Unbelievable. But, Unbelievable. Yeah. But they're not legends. And, the, and that was like blew my mind because I consider them legends. They became legends, you know, so that right. was kind of nice. And, and I've been following them. Um, they have this band. And when COVID hit, I saw so many other people just give up, you know, musically or different, you know, just walk away. These guys, man, they're, they just kept doing it. Um, meaning not getting together every week and they're pretty, they were really safe. Every week they would stay on their computers and they would connect with each other and they would write music and they'd send it to each other and they start recording that way. And they came out with an album and they came out with videos that are killer videos. Yeah. yeah. Well, where other people, as you get older, you get kind of like, uh, you know, you don't want to, even myself, it's like, do I really want to learn this now? It's 60, you know, and these guys are killing it. I mean, I'm not talking about musically. They're killing it musically, but they're yeah. also just focused. The technology and all that stuff too, yeah. right? Like embracing the tools that, that are available that, yeah. like you say, a lot of guys our age kind of go, eh. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it, and it's funny because, especially in your world, the drum world, we're the first to get hit. You know, when the drum machines came in. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then who was it? Um, oh, Mike Bars told me, he goes, he remembers when he and Jeff Ricardo were hanging out and someone brought over a drum machine and Jeff said, throw that thing in the pool, drown it. You know, <laughs> so, like, I can't remember how this story went, but it's like, oh my God. Uh, yeah. You know, I hear like, Jeff say that. <laughs> yeah. Like, can you imagine? I mean, you know, and, but some guys, you know, embraced it and right. took it and used it as a tool. And that's and, how these And I think Jeff, you know, in the end he did, he did it, you know, but, yeah. but you're right. Yeah. But, it, but that was, I think a lot of the people's first reaction was like, oh no, not this, you know, that that's, yeah. this ain't cool. But, yeah. you know, but I, I, that's, I'm excited about this, this project, because as you say, I mean, the, the, um, the immediate family is kind of our our generation. I mean, your dad, of course, and Hal and, and the Wrecking right. Crew, we were kids. Um, but I think well, of all that music. Totally different. Those guys, and it's yeah. funny because it's a totally different world. 
you know, and that's the other thing. I, why did someone, you know, how are they different than the Wrecking Crew? All right. Easily. They're all of them amazing musicians. There's no doubt about it. Great musicians. There's, you can't do that. Um, but the thing is, when my father comes in and they're kicking it, you know, Hal and, and you know, Dad and Don and Carol and Joe and all of them are killing it in the mid-60s. They've already been going for a few years. But the, don't forget, in the 60s, when they're doing Spectre stuff, it's one track. It's mono. So they're basically, you know, they're going in for three-hour sessions. One, you know, three-hour session, moving to the next one, moving to the next one. They're, they're in a factory. Yeah. Part of it yeah. is, well, labels didn't want to spend money. They wanted in and out, in and out. It was a financial thing. When labels started realizing, ooh, if they spend more time or they start, these albums can make money, they're going to take their time. So right. producers are now doing, as, as Earl Palmer said, as he goes, in the 60s, we were doing recording dates. In the 70s, they were projects. And, he, you know, you were doing a week. You're doing two weeks. You come back and forth, back and forth on, a, on an album. Yeah. Yep. You didn't do that in the 60s. You nailed an album in two, you know, two days, one day. Sometimes he said Liberty Records, one of the labels, and, you know, six tunes in the morning, six tunes in the evening, you know, and that's how it went down. Um, now, these guys come along. They're also young, befriending the artist. Carol and Danny are best friends, you know, not best friends, whatever. They're great friends at that point. So they're hanging out. They're, you know, Linda, they're all hanging out there, you know, the troubadours, whatever, but they're making music together. Right. You know what I mean? And that's the difference is they befriend them. They go, now they go on the road with them to play the music they just recorded. In the 60s, the Wrecking Crew never did it. How occasionally did it? Sometimes they did it, but they had to pay those guys a lot of money to go on the road. You did not want to walk away from your chair. Um, you know, because someone else is going to fill it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You got eight guitar players. There's eight great guys that could play Telecaster. It's bullshit music, most of it. You know what I mean? You know, so you didn't you didn't do that. Um, and the other thing was the bands in the '60s that were on the road, they couldn't do what these guys were doing. You know, in the studio, the Wrecking Crew. You didn't have that problem with the next generation. They're more educated, more better players in a sense that can go off and do it. So that's why. So when you got Leland and, you know, Scalaro who could go from studio doing Mike Post stuff and then doing, you know, um, Spectrum album, right. you, know, you know, and then do, doing, uh, you know, Linda or whoever. I mean, these guys are amazing. Yeah. You know, and then they go off and, and the, the same thing with these guys as my, I said, what's it like? There's a point where everybody has a change in direction. For my father, when his career in records, and I say it comes to an end, is really <clears throat> late 60s, early 70s. And I say that because things are changing. Now he gets called for movies and TV. His Because of his reading skills, his capability was ridiculous. He could go on and do that. You know, and now he gets called for, you know, mandolin or bazooki or some crazy ass instrument for the studio. Now there's a difference. He's doing that, let's say, for Love Boat. Well, Dave, uh, then, but you got um, 
oh my God, how did I go blank? This is live. Um, <laughs> oh, David L- and Lindley. Yeah. Oh, who's, God, yeah, you know, yeah. You know, brilliant. He's like a brilliant guitar player with all that shit. Yeah. But my dad's not doing what he's doing. And he's not doing what my dad's doing because they're both two different things, two different worlds. You know, he's, he's Lindley's legit. My dad's getting close. You know, when he's doing Love Boat, you know, he doesn't have to be, you know, tuning all his instruments to their natural, you know, their, you know, natural tuning. He doesn't care. He's tuning like a guitar. Um, so these guys are different. They're, and but God, they're this group of musicians, Danny and Leland and Russ and uh, Wadi. I mean, crack me up, man. They're brothers. Yeah. They're yeah. a family. He's like all of them. Well, and you know, I, I, I have to think that, that they would say that the guys in, in the immediate family would say that if it wasn't for the wrecking crew, they, they probably wouldn't have, I mean, they would have had careers cause they're all, as you say, phenomenal yeah, yeah. A-listers, but, but I think, would, is it fair to say that the business evolved from what the wrecking crew had built to Absolutely. sort of, yeah, allow this new yeah, kind of way? I think so. Absolutely. And, 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 and <clears throat> You know, it's funny because Daniel's Danny, and it's funny how they never met. I don't think Dad and I think they worked on one project together uh, with Lou Adler, but um, two different animals. Danny doesn't like three three hours. Say I don't. I, you know, I don't like. I'm not into that. You know, ten to one and two to five and blah, 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 and he bitches about it. Right? <laughs> totally get it. My father didn't give a shit. I don't really, you know, I wish again, I wish I could ask him, yeah. but I, what I remember is you're paying me. I'll be there. Right. You know what I mean? If it, in, if you're not in, it, he wasn't such a, a whore or not that way. He, his job is to do the best he can for you. And if you're paying me $25, you know, and I'm going to give you, you know, all out, da, 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 da. And he goes, that was the question that he would, they would ask him. Did you ever feel like you were shafted for, you know, you guys didn't have arrangements or something. You had to come up with your own stuff. He goes, no, he goes every time I made a hundred, we made hundreds of hits, but we made thousands of bombs. I never gave anybody their money back. You know, you know, you do, you're going in there. You're not going to hold back. You're going to give them 110%. I don't know if my dad would have had the patience to hang out to do albums for weeks on weeks. I mean, I know there were projects that he, you know, major projects that he did like that, you know, a huge orchestra concerto um, with guitar, but that was weeks and, you know, that was different, but I don't know if he would have had the patience to hang out. That's a like really that. good point. Danny. Yeah, I, I, exactly. I think I didn't know your dad, but knowing the, the, um, the work ethic that that he had and Hal and all the guys had in the wrecking crew that they were conditioned to go in and, and hit it and, and do yeah. it like, and it, like you say, in a day, in a session, they, they bang out a bunch of hits and they probably wouldn't, would have went a little crazy, even if they were getting paid to sit around yeah. for a couple of weeks. I, yeah. I, you're playing I, the same music, playing the same, yeah. you know, you're doing an album and it's taking you a month, two months. What are you going to maybe record 20 songs, whatever it is, you know, these guys 
dad would go and do three or four songs in three hour session. If you did three or four sessions that day, and that could be, you know, 12 pieces of music in one day that you didn't even see and never see again. Yeah. You know, and the next day was something different. So, and everybody was different, you know, there was different musicians constantly changing in and out. Right. So how, so how far, I shouldn't say how far along any, any idea how, yeah, I'm hoping cross our fingers. Um, put in a cut to the sales team last week. So we want to get notes back from them. Um, you know, we haven't shown it to the guys yet. If they're listening, sorry guys. Um, <laughs> because we really want to get it right. You know, we, I don't want to be messing with everybody's heads. Like, you know, I want to get as close as possible. And um, so I'm hoping that within the next, this year it'll be out probably even if it was perfect right now, it'd probably be at the end of the year because it takes time to get things into the, into the loop of uh, distribution. Sure. Yeah. But, you know, immediate family uh, film is our, our Facebook page. There's media family and then there's media family film. So okay. we're constantly doing, um, what do you call it? Um, you know, information trivia and new stuff coming up, but no, I, I'm proud of it. It was, you know, I'm scared because, you know, it's my second one and uh, it's the first one that, you know, I'll be judged, which is fine. We're always judged. But uh, I really feel these, we're telling their story. Um, and again, they don't hold back. Yeah. They don't, you know, that's what the great thing is. These musicians, none of them hold back. You know, they tell the truth. Um, oh, God, they're funny. <laughs> they, <laughs> Uh, I can't, I can't even tell you right now because you know it's those stories that you're telling about Wrecking Crew. Though, hopefully, in years, you know, do you remember that story that Wadi talked about? Or, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm yeah. so happy for you. I, you know what? I, I'm gonna. I know, I know, as sure as the sun will rise tomorrow, that it's gonna be great. It's gonna be fantastic because you know what you're doing. You, you have yeah, integrity. Yeah, no, I'm, I, you have, Danny, it's going to be great. And I, and, and you were, you've always been a humble man. So I expect nothing less from you saying that, you know, you hope. Uh, it's, hard, it's, it's hard not to be humble when you got, <laughs> I can't play an instrument. <laughs> I suck as actor. Um, yeah, very humble. <laughs> well, um, you're a better director than anybody I know. So. Oh, wow. There you go. You don't get out much. That's all. <laughs> Oh man! Yeah. Are you, are you, are you, what's happening in Nam? Is there Nam this year? Anybody know? I'm scared now. I know. Thanks. Yeah, I want a glass of water. Yeah, I always have to keep the water handy. Well, <clears throat> I can tell you that I do know they have Nam scheduled for June of next year. Oh, we Not, we're skipping January. They're yeah they're, oh, they're pushing it. Yeah, they're pushing it back to June. Okay. It's going to be. Um, I think like the first week and it's going to be three days instead of the usual four days. And, uh, I was just thinking of Hal. That was the other thing. Hal. Oh God, he bitch. He would bitch, 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 bitch. And they would go to, and, it, and that was the other thing. It, and it's not, to, it was the same jokes. You know, uh, yes, he had thousands of jokes he'd come up with, but as he always, uh, Nam, he was always like, he loved being, he loved to love. That's the thing, but he was a curmudgeon. He, he pretended to be a certain, you know, 
God damn it. It's a Petri dish there. It's a Petri dish. And he would always get sick. No matter what, Hal was always sick in February after the NAMM show. Whether or not it was a cold or whether it was psychosomatic, I don't know. But it was always that Petri dish. And it was so funny. And I I think it's because everybody wanted to shake his hand and hug him. Oh, totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. (laughs) And it was so funny. It was like in the same – and the other thing is musicians. You guys do it all the time because – doing the same show all the time you know what i mean so you yeah, you're yeah. doing an opening you probably tell a joke and the, and the guy the, you know, the drummer's going fuck i've heard this joke every time for five years <laughs> and that's how i was with hell it's like realize every time we would do a screening and hal would start you know with uh you know what's the hardest thing for a studio player you know a job parking space you know it's the same right. old joke yeah, yeah. And it's like you know and, you know, and the funny thing is there were so many things that we would, when Hal and Don and I would travel, there were the, we had those moments where Don and I are on one page. We know what we got to do because, you know, as some of us know, and it's not hidden, Hal and Carol did not get along at those later years. Yeah. Extremely, it was unfortunate and it was true. And every, the, the worst was at a screening and Carol would get on screen and Hal would talk to the screen. <laughs> Say shit to the screen. It was like, oh my God, Hal, please don't. And <sighs> so then after that, once or twice, that was it. So for the next five years, hey, Hal, let's go get something to eat. Hey, Hal, let's go get something to eat. As soon as we did the opening, we get Hal out of there before she came on screen. And it was so funny. <laughs> he never knew. You never knew why we were always eating during the movie. Um, <laughs> and then the other one was, he got to the point where he was, um, I mean, he was a horrible driver at the, you know, and like many of our parents are, yeah. as my kid would say about me now. Um, but we would, Don and I would go to his house in Palm Springs for lunch and how would take us to the, you know, the deli or whatever. And, but we, I would always park in front of his driveway so that he couldn't pull out the caddy. And I go, and, you know, I go, hey, how I'll drive. No, I'll drive. No, no. Not how I get the car. Come on, let's go. <laughs> smart move, Denny. Smart. Oh, man, I learned that was like, saved my life probably. <laughs> so, <laughs> how would he get out of it? So, Bless him. I, I will say, yeah. I remember that, that screening at the NAMM show, whenever that was. 2008 or whatever 2000 oh yeah and he he uh afterward oh. you had him come up and and uh and and we do the q a did the q a exactly and he yeah there are, i I, oh. I you know god bless you man because i watched you and you were kind of going like because he was kind of going off i'm trying I mean, he's got the microphone and there's nothing worse you know and he was venting and it was like i'm trying to go trying to get the mic trying to get the mic um so we learned. Yeah. You, you, you learn once, you learn twice. The third, you're, it's your own problem. <laughs> you know. But no, I was, you know, these guys were, I love those guys and I miss them dearly, but they never left. You know, the fact that we, these little stories and memories, you know, as you do this with all these musicians that you, like Rick and Steve Gadd and, you know, Peter Erskine and all those guys and Russ and, 
that's the greatest thing about it. your job is being able to talk to them. And my job, it's so much fun, you know, yeah, just talking. And, to and I'm, I'm so glad that you're, you know, you're documenting all this stuff and, and, and uh, thank you, you know, and I'm trying to do a, a little bit of part, a little part of that as well, just to sort of, I wish I could have done something like this with Hal, you know, I mean, it, it's been done. Yeah. You did it. And, and uh, so you know, thankfully there's, there's plenty out there, you know, and, and, uh, but, well, you know, I tell people, you know, it's, it, do it with your parents, do it with your parents, your grandparents, you know, you know, this stupid phone has more power and better, better camera than I had when I did any of my documentary. Right. You know what I mean? It's amazing. And it's like, you don't have to make a documentary. You just grab the information, you know, and grab it and just talk to them. Um, people want to talk usually, you know, and you'll learn a lot. And it's like, just give it to your kids. I just got hooked on that show, um, uh, Roots um, Revealed or something. It's the PBS show mm-hmm. where they go back looking at, you know, like stars, you know, Roots, you know, like the, um, who was it? The, um, Jim Gaffigan, you know, like, and there was somebody else and they went back. Oh, um, Michael Moore, the uh, documentary. Oh. Maker. They, yeah. they traced his roots all the way back to the 1600s in, in America and go, my God, how cool to be able to go, you know what I mean? To be able yeah. to be able to find your lineage. And I wonder like, yeah. okay, in a hundred years, will my lineage go, yeah, he, he was, I don't know, somewhere I read that he was a, a documentary maker. I don't know, you know, <laughs> but at least, you know, they'll know where they come from. Yeah. You know, I think it's important. I, I think it's, it's not important. It's, it's fun. It's interesting. So I think it is too. I, I think it is too. Well, I, look, we've, we've been going for a while and, and, Thank um, you. I, I want to do this again. I'm going to, I'm going to get in touch with you after the holidays and I, I would love to. Yeah, well, in, as soon as I have, would be great. As soon as I have a, something to sh- show you um, with the media family, a trailer or something, I'd love to share it and, you know, get Russ on and Leland on and, and um, Danny and the guys. And I'm telling you, they, they kept me going for the last two years. So, and be safe with COVID guys please be safe. It's yeah. not over. It might never be over, but you know what? Don't be stupid and just let's love each other. Amen. Yeah. yeah I, I even if it's a, we even love each other with a mask. Sexier. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, I is that eyes wide shut <laughs> way of <laughs> eyes wide shut. Uh, um, all right. And then don't forget HBO. Go yeah. do a like. And, like the wrecking right. crew and, and watch it. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you. Oh, yeah. Hang tight for one hey. second. I'm going to, I'll end yeah. the live stream and then I'll come back and see you in a second, but okay. a big hand for my very good friend, Denny Tedesco. I hope everybody Thanks, enjoyed man. it. My pleasure, Denny. Thank you. All right. Love you, buddy. See ya. All right. Hold on one sec. See ya. <laughs>